John chapter 8. That's such a great song, isn't it? Nothing but the blood. The more and more in this series that I get into this series, the more and more that continues to come out is kind of the point that we focused on in the first message, the first installment. And that was that if we don't recognize the love of God in our own lives, it's going to be very difficult for us to reflect that love to the world. Amen. It's, it's hard to show others that are lost and dying and hurting the love of God that we haven't had revealed in our own lives, that God wants to show us, God wants to reveal to us. And the more and more I get into this series, it just has been putting me in a posture, and I hope it's done the same for you. But I understand that I'm a little more inundated with it in preparing these messages and hearing from God. What is the word? Now, this isn't my word. Y'all understand that, right? This isn't my word. This is God's word communicated through me to you, the church. And uh, he's been speaking to me, and, and, and throughout this series, he's just been putting me in a posture of recognizing without his love, without his blood, without his work, without his redemption power in my own life, uh, I would be nothing. I would be nothing. And, and, and no matter what your background is, no matter what your history is, you know, Paul said whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, he's just referring to your past, your history. No matter what your history is, you just got a clean slate and Man, you've just you, you've pretty much done it right all your life, or if you've been through hell and you shouldn't even be here today, uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. God loves us, and we all needed his love, and we all needed a Savior to come out of whatever we were in. All have sinned and come short. Come short. That means we needed an extension. We needed something to get us there, and it was his grace and his mercy and his love that got us there. Amen. And so I just want to highlight a couple points. Obviously, the first message we understood that love that is not revealed cannot be reflected. Love that's not revealed cannot be reflected. If I don't take time to reflect upon the love of God in my own life, I'm going to have a hard time showing that to the world, showing that. And we find that the ones that are the most judgmental and the ones that are the first and the quickest to say something and the ones uh, 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 that are are the, the first to make a comment. You know, sometimes it's the loudest ones that are the dumbest ones. It's the ones that are the first to say something that ought to be sitting back and listening a little bit. And, um, and so we've got we've to first come to know that I've got to know the love of God for myself before I can show that to anybody else. And, and we become judgmental. and We become uh, creatures that just want to point out everybody else's issues rather than saying, you know what, God, what have you done in my life? Because they need you just the way I needed you. And if we can take that time, we'll, have a better, we'll do a better job of reflecting the love of God to the world. Last week we saw this, that the truth of God must be presented in the love of God. The truth of God must be presented in the love of God. Remember I told you about packaging. Packaging. And it's the packaging a lot of times that sells the product. The product on the inside can be good or bad, but the packaging is what attracts people. You can have bad packaging on a good product and nobody will ever know about it. And the flip of that, you can have good packaging on a terrible product and they'll come to find out that what's on the inside isn't really worth it. And the world is great at packaging terrible products with great presentations. 
But then us, we've got the greatest product on the face of the planet. We've got the gospel of the kingdom. We've got the message that can save people's lives. Yet we wrap it in hatred and, and rebuke and accusing and, and condemnation rather than conviction. And, and, and people don't want what we have because we don't package it well. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 that we need to speak the truth, the product, in love, the package. How are you packaging your product. I hope that, you know, throughout this past week, we've taken a little bit of time to just recognize I've got a great product. Now, how am I presenting that to the world? How am I showing people the love of God so I can get them to understand the truth? The truth will set them free. Anybody believe that? I hope you do because it's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. That's not just a famous quote. You know, a lot of people quote things like it's in the Bible, but it's not. But that one actually is. Jesus said the truth shall make you free. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is what makes people free. Notice there he does not say salvation makes you free. Now, salvation has truth in it, but there's a lot of saved people that haven't accepted the truth of God yet, so therefore they're still true. They're still bound up. We look at the Israelites, came out of Egypt. Were they delivered? Yes, but were they free? No. They were delivered naturally, but they were still not free in their minds. And that's how a lot of believers are. They haven't accepted the truth of God. It's not until we accept the truth of his word. All truth and nothing but the truth. Now, that one's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's not in the Bible. But the truth will make you free. It's the truth that we have that's going to set people free. But they're never getting to the truth because we don't have the right package. But man, when you can present, it, it's the greatest contradiction in the world to present a message of love in hate. What a contradiction, man. To, to, to present a message that loves people, helps people, restores people, but then package it in, uh, uh, unless you think like me or act like me or talk like me, you can't be me. Rather than recognizing I had to receive the truth just like you need to receive the truth. Amen. So I hope that that helps some people. But this week, I want to look at one story. One story, John chapter 8. It's a familiar story, but I, I, I was looking at it this week. There's a lot of stuff in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John I've been looking at during this series and in preparing for this series because who better to help us identify what love should look like in the midst of darkness than Jesus himself? John chapter 1 tells us that he was the light. And the darkness comprehended it not. They didn't even know what was in the midst of them. Now, Jesus is the greatest example of how to present truth in love. Because the only thing, you understand, Jesus didn't know any Christians. You know, there's no Christians. Even the religious leaders, they're not Christians. They're not saved. They're not born again. At this point, every single person on the planet that Jesus comes into contact with needs Jesus, needs salvation, needs to be born again. So who better to look to than the man that came completely sinless, completely sin-free, is in righteousness with his father, but now is surrounded by unrighteousness? Who better to look at? And so I've been looking at all kinds of stuff, and he has so many parables. Remember the parable uh, where the king forgave a man of like a million dollars of debt? 
and the man goes out freely, and then he goes and he finds someone that owes him $1,000. And he wrings his neck and he has him thrown in jail. And when the king finds out about that, what's he dealing with? He's dealing with forgiveness. Now, when I say these things, I'm not meaning to sound negative towards the church. I'm not meaning to, to, to speak uh, uh, negatively of the church or in a derogatory way. But we are the worst at forgiveness. And the reason why I can say that is because we are the ones that ought to be forgiving. See, I, I can't say the world's bad at forgiving because they can't. They don't contain. They're, they're not capable of forgiving. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And the Bible tells us that the love of Christ has been shed abroad abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We have the capability to reveal true forgiveness and true love to people. And yet, sometimes the church are the ones that are holding offenses and grudges. I've seen some people in church hold some major offenses, man. Major. That destroys their lives. And so Jesus is saying, if I have forgiven you of such a great debt, why can you not forgive someone else? We've got to get better at forgiving each other and letting the past go and not holding burdens and not holding uh, 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 grudges against each other and just love each other. Each other. I'm not even talking about loving the world. I'm talking about loving each other now. Brethren, we ought to walk in the love of God, Paul said. And so who better to look to? Then Jesus, who gave us these parables, gave us these stories. And here in John chapter 8, we have an account. We've probably all seen this before. Let's just start reading it. We'll see how the Holy Spirit leads us. John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people, the people that know the law, the people that know the word, okay? Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. They literally pulled her out of bed. Okay, I'm giving you the scene, giving you the imagery here. It's not just hearsay. It's not we think you are. No, we caught you in the very act of committing adultery. In the very act. Now Moses, Moses in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. Commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him. That they might have something of which to accuse who? Him, Jesus. See, I always read this and I always thought that they were trying to accuse the woman. But they're actually using the woman to accuse Jesus. They don't even care about the woman at this point. They are after Jesus. They're attacking Jesus. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen the Pharisees' faces at this point. He's acting like he's not even hearing this whole conversation. I'm not even hearing you right now. Oh, what did you say? What? 
So when they continued asking him, continued bothering him, continued bringing this question to him, he raised himself up. The original translation says he looked up. He didn't actually stand up. He just looked up at them and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out, being convicted by their conscience. Even this act from Jesus wasn't condemning. He was convicting. He could have easily attacked back. But he just responded with, any one of you that has never sinned, you throw the first stone. And Jesus, uh, and they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, and when Jesus had raised himself up, this time he stands up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, look at that, Lord. No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The contradiction that we have a lot of times as believers is how do we deal with individuals and and people that are living lifestyles that are so offensive to the word, to the word that we know. This is the contradiction I'm trying to deal with throughout this series, is how do we confront sin without hating the sinner? How do we deal with the individual that is in the lifestyle that we know is so damaging and so hurting? These are the questions that I'm trying to ask. And, and honestly, when I got into this series, I, 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 I didn't have a whole lot of answers. I'll just be honest with you. This was something that I really had to search out. This was something that I really had to see. Because we're always going to deal with the criticism that we're judgmental. You're always going to deal with that. You're always going to deal with the criticism that you're super spiritual. You're always going to deal with people that say, uh, oh, all you want to do is just say that you're right and I'm wrong. We're always going to deal with that. We're always going to deal with the fact that when we point out sin, it's going to immediately conflict the sinner. I don't know about you, but anytime I've had issues in my life or things that needed to be dealt with or things that were pointed out, when I was being confronted with it, it didn't feel good. Anybody been there? Because uh, anytime you anytime you cut things off, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. You know, there's been times where I've had to be, uh, you know, dealt with on uh, certain things in my life by people above me, by pastors and leaders that I submitted myself to. And in that conversation, you're thinking, dude, what you talking to me about this for? I don't want to hear this right now. 
I mean, at first, your first response is, I just want to get out of here. And, and, and so having sin dealt with in your life never feels good. Never fun. And, and I can't imagine uh, what's going through this woman's mind as she's being drug out of bed, probably in front of people half naked at this point, and, and just having accusations coming to her from the people that really ought to be trying to help her. See, this is why the world doesn't want to come to the church for help. Is because they came and showed up as accusers. Now, the word accused means this. The word accused means this, to charge with fault, offense, or crime. To charge with fault, offense, or or crime. It literally means to find fault with. If you're accusing somebody, you're just looking for what they're doing wrong. Nobody enjoys being accused. Nobody enjoys being wrongly accused, but you don't even enjoy being rightly accused. I know I was wrong, but I don't want to hear about it. I know I shouldn't have done that, but don't bring this to me right now. I'm not having this conversation. Nobody enjoys being accused. And the Bible actually tells us in Revelations that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. It's the devil's job to accuse. And when we become accusers, finding fault in people, we're doing the devil's work. Bottom line. You won't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus accuses anybody. In fact, he looks at the woman later and says, where are those accusers where are those that are trying to find fault with you where are those that are bringing accusations now the motive of these men the motive of these scribes and pharisees is not holiness it's not holiness remember we said this last week the difference between conviction and condemnation conviction has your best interests at heart Condemnation has my best interest at heart. I want to make you look bad so I can look good. That's the motive of these scribes and Pharisees. This isn't the first time Jesus has had to deal with these individuals. In fact, later on in this chapter, John chapter 8, things just blow wide open. It, it gets bad. Jesus is, is just being hammered by the, the scribes and the Pharisees and these religious leaders. And then he has to make some crazy statements like, uh, uh, your, your, your father is the devil. And uh, before Abraham, I am. That's a crazy statement. Like, Abraham was here years ago and, and thousands of years ago. And you're telling me that you are, that before Abraham was, you existed? You're 33 years old. Who, do you, who in the world do you think you are? You're the son of God? And then they try to tell him that he's got a demon. I mean, it gets crazy here at the end of this chapter. We're just getting started. But the motive of these men is not holiness. They don't care to see this lady get right. They're not bringing her to, to Jesus and saying, now, now we, we really care about her. We care about her family, you know, her husband that she's cheating on and the children that are at home uh, that she's leaving to go sleep with this other man. Uh, you know, we... We, we, we just want to see her get right, Jesus. How can we restore her? That's not their motivation. Their motivation is to look good. 
and their motivation is actually attacking. See, when you become self-centered, people become a means to an end. And all that they see is this woman is an opportunity for us to prove Jesus wrong. They don't care about her. They don't care about her life. They don't care about her family. See, when you really care about the individual, you really care about seeing them healed and restored like God does, you won't be bringing accusation. You won't be trying to find fault. And you won't just see that person as an opportunity to make you look good. I was listening to a pastor several months ago because there was a pastor from Washington that uh, had some failure in his ministry and ended up, you know, dissolving the whole ministry, uh, a large ministry, 20 plus years in ministry. And and uh, uh, another pastor in Texas was holding a conference and this minister was at it and he brought him up on stage and uh, he, he said, our only goal, because this was one of the pastors that the pastor that failed was submitting himself to for help. He said, our only goal is to restore this young man and get him back into ministry and get him to a place where he can focus on the the call of God on his life. And we talked about that last week, that when, when, when your focus is restoration, you'll do whatever it takes to help that person. And you won't cut them down and you won't. Uh, you, you, you won't find fault and accusations and just constantly bring up all the wrong they're doing. And this pastor in Texas, he said this. He said, we in the church are the worst at shooting our own. Shooting our own. Why? Because it's a heart on the inside of, I know right and I've got it all together. So let me point out those that aren't. And this negative talking about each other and this negative talk in the church and always cutting each other down and finding fault, accusations, is tearing the church. It's tearing the church apart. This is not what the church ought to be built on. And next week I'm going to talk about how love doesn't compromise. So don't think that I'm going in the direction of, well, so we just bend over and you know, don't say nothing. No, we'll go there because love does correct But love covers a multitude of sin. But the first thing we've got to get right is our position. Because just because you know the word doesn't mean it gives you a right to cut down people who are not living by the word. This is people are not a means to an end for you. People are not an opportunity for the church to look good by showing how bad they are. It's to make God look good because none of us would be anywhere without the love of Jesus. And that's what we forget. Our, Our motivation becomes, let me just cut people down because when I cut them down, it makes me look good. There's a lot of pastors that use this tool of cutting down other people so they can bring people to themselves. That's called a hireling. And those pastors will run when they start getting cut down. There's nothing that I've ruled out that people can't tell me and bring to me. I'm always open to hearing what people have to say and things that I can work on and things that I can do better. I'm always open to that. Whether it's right, whether it's wrong, that's for me to determine and we move on. But this 
this criticizing and accusing. These are the religious leaders doing this. This isn't the world doing this. Sometimes the world would treat their own better than we treat our own. Right? They'll, they'll, bring, they'll bring each other in and, and cover each other better than the church does sometimes. And so know that the motivation of these men isn't for the health and the healing of this woman. It's we're testing Jesus. And honestly, they don't even care about the woman, whether she's right or wrong. It tells us that they brought the woman to Jesus to accuse him, to accuse Jesus. You know, sometimes I think these opportunities that come up and, uh, you know, uh, I've told you people come to me and say, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Uh, You got to be careful because a lot of times it can just be a setup. They don't really care about the person. They care about what you think about the person and what you'll say. And it's really just a trap. And just like Jesus did here, uh, you got to tune those conversations out. And Jesus is acting like he doesn't even hear it. We got to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. I told you all last week I was at a, a, a birthday party just a few weeks ago. And, and uh, you, know, you know how kids' birthday parties are. It's, kids are doing their own thing, and it's really just a get-together for the parents to hang out and, and eat, you know, crazy food and stuff. And, you know, you do, the, you do the presents and you do the cake, but it's really, you know, hey, come hang out. So we had all the adults just kind of hanging out on the back porch, um, you know, just talking. And uh, the com- a conversation came up about the recent activity with the woman that was arrested and, you know, put in jail for not signing the marriage certificates for homosexuals. And, um, you know, they, they turned to me, hey, you're a pastor. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? And, and I, I wasn't quick to say anything. I said, honestly, you know, I, I think there's multiple thought processes here. And I mean, it, what, it, it's really just a setup. They're, they're wanting to see. It, it's not a conversation about homosexuality. It's a conversation of did this woman do right or wrong by what she did? I said, honestly, I just need to do some more read and study on it. I don't know. I've heard both sides. but I've heard both, both trains of thought. I don't have an answer for you. And left it at that. We got to be careful that we're not walking into a trap of the enemy as believers and saying stuff that we don't really know a whole lot about. And Jesus here, now you know Jesus has the answer, but what's he doing? He's not giving an opportunity for the devil to bring a trap. And we've got to tune those things out. I I think that there's just a lot of setting up that's taking place in the church. They're just just wanting to see how the church is going to respond. And I I believe that a lot of these things that we're seeing in the last days is just a test of how's the church going to endure through this. How's the church going to maintain a, a, a walk of love? through these things. And sometimes it's in what you don't say. Now there's times where the church needs to speak up. There are times where I think pastors and leaders have taken too long to say something. And as pastors, we have to discern that. We have to know the difference between a setup 
and an opportunity to proclaim the gospel message. It shouldn't take me that long to proclaim the church's position on homosexuality. You might take a little bit in how you're going to deal with it in your own church and steps you're going to take there. That might be a setup. But for me to just simply declare what the Bible says, it shouldn't take me months. It should should be pretty simple, and it should be pretty straightforward, and there's no beating around the bush with it. This is what the Word of God says, and this is what I believe on the subject. It's pretty simple. Now, how our church deals with it, we're going to get with our people, we're going to get with our board, and we're going to determine how we're going to deal with these things and how to continue to keep a posture of love, but at the same time, identify what the Word says and walk according to what the Word says. Determine those things. But Jesus here knows that he's being set up. He knows that their motivation isn't to see this lady get right. Their motivation isn't holiness. Their motivation is entrapment. And when you only care about yourself, you won't care about the benefit of others. I I, I think one of the things that destroys our uh, our love walk and our opportunities to show the world love is uh, this, this narcissistic mentality that's in the world today of I just have to look out for myself. And, and these Pharisees and Sadducees don't care about the benefit of others. They only care about themselves. In fact, Jesus dealt with this and said these guys, when they go out on the corner to pray, they, everybody hears them and they have these long, drawn-out prayers that are just repeated over and over and over. And it's just to show they don't care about their Their walk with God, they care about how everybody else sees them. We're dealing with a group of people here that only cares about themselves. They don't care about other people getting it right. But we know that Jesus came, sacrificed himself, and said, I have not come to be served but to serve. And that very woman that you're bringing to me and bringing all these accusations and finding all this fault with, I came for her. So his position is different. His response is different. Now, I love what he does here. I love what he does here. He says, he who has not sinned, you cast the first stone. The first thing he does is he identifies You are just like her. You are just like her. He changes their perception from what they think they are to who they really are. They think they're better than her. They think they have something she doesn't have. But then Jesus turns it right back around and says, no, no, no. I'm going to even the playing field here. In fact, Jesus could have said this, uh, all of you bring me your rocks, and you line up with her, and I'll throw, I'll do the rock tossing now. He's like, you know, he could have easily said, you know what, you're right. The Bible does say that. So um, go ahead and get in line. Single file, please. No pushing. Who's the line leader? And uh, leave your rocks right here for me, and I'll take care of the rock throwing for you. What's What's he identifying here? He's saying, just because she's in sin doesn't give you any right to point it out. Look, we see sin all around us. 
We see sin all around us. And, and this is the struggle that we have is in identifying the sin and loving the sinner. This is the contradiction that we have. And I believe Jesus shows us very clearly here. The first thing you've got to identify before you go after that person's sin is you've done the same. Now, we are a new creature in Christ Jesus, yes. There are some denominations out there that, uh, call the, that, that, that say that uh, uh, we are sinners saved by grace. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a completely brand new creation. You are a whole new person. The sinner is done away with. That's who you used to be. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You were a sinner. You were saved by believing in Jesus. And now you're a kingdom citizen. Period. We're not sinners saved by grace. If you want to carry that title, you can. But that's not what the Bible says about you. Sinner's been done away with. But that doesn't release us from the responsibility of remembering that before we knew Christ, we were a sinner. We were just like that person. And before we we start thinking about how to confront the sin, we need to first recognize that they just need what we needed. It evens the playing field. It evens the playing field. The conversation becomes more to their benefit rather than your benefit. See, because there's too many times that we want to approach this thing of now I'm, I'm over here and you're over there. And I've got this and you need this. Rather than first recognizing we're all on the same playing field here. We all have need of the same thing. The Pharisees were teachers of the law. And notice there, they re, when, when, when they came to Jesus, they called him what? Teacher. They said teacher. They recognized him by what they knew and, and, and by what they uh, kept in front of them. It was the law. And so they recognized him as somebody that had to teach the law without compromise. They call him teacher. They don't, they don't even know the purpose of the law. The law didn't come to make you right. The law came to reveal that you needed Jesus. There was nothing about the law that gave you the ability to obey it. The Ten Commandments, the second God brought in the, the Ten Commandments and the law, and, the, the, and you know that law, man. I mean, many of y'all, you've done your Bible reading and you're just thinking, can I please just get through Leviticus? This is... Boring, I don't want to hear about this. This stuff isn't, if, you know, you got to kill this many lambs and this many turtle doves. You got to, uh, you know, uh, and, and going to church back then, man, that was not a fun thing. It's, it smelled horrible. There's blood everywhere. There's, there's screaming and crying animals uh, just being slaughtered all over the place. And that was church. Thank God we don't have to. How many of you would come to church today if, if we had the altar up here? All right, bring your sheep in. Let's start, you know, cutting throats and. Tearing pigeons in half and, whoo, man. And then the second you walk back out the door, you're like, oh, man, just cussed again. Oh, I got to go back, get my turtle dove. Oh, I didn't mean to look at her that way. Oh, uh, where's my sheep? I'm running out of sheep here, man. I don't have enough. Whoo. 
What a job. That was church. That was church, man. Thank God we don't have to do that. that. The law only came to reveal there's nothing you can do to get right. You need Jesus. The law didn't come to reveal sin. It came to reveal the need for a Savior. But to these scribes and Pharisees, it's just, it just reveals sin. It just tells us all the do's and don'ts. It tells us all the rights and wrongs. So I'm right because I do my little prayers and I wear my little garments and I, 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 I give this much to the church. And, and you're wrong because you're sleeping with somebody that is married. So let's pick up our stones, accuse, find fault and offense and crime in people. Doesn't make you the police. You're not the you're not the church police. You're not the spiritual police. So does this mean that if I see someone in sin, I, I can't let them know? No, you let them know you need a savior, not you're sinning. Do you see the difference? The difference. You need Jesus, man. Jesus points to healing. The sin points to death. There's a difference. What's the motivation? The scribes and Pharisees, they approach Jesus and they say, teacher. Notice they didn't call him master. They didn't call him Lord. They didn't call him son of God. Teacher. That's what you are. You're a teacher. Which means you have to hold yourself to the law and hold this woman to the law just like we do. Teacher. But the woman's response, Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? Who's here to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. 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 What's a Lord? It's one that owns and controls. It's the one that you give your life to that determines now how we live our life. And by saying, Lord, she says, however you tell me to live, I'll live. What you tell me to do, I'll do. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. Did he let her off? No. Did he say, don't worry about it. I'm about to go to the cross and die for all your sins anywhere, so just sin it up. Live it up. Have all the fun. I'm, I'm going to save you anyways. No, he, and notice, he's telling a woman to go and sin no more, and he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. There's another young man that was let down through the roof. They carved a hole in the roof while Jesus was ministering in a house one time. It was too, uh, too many people. He couldn't get in. The, the, they couldn't bring him in, so they carved a hole in the roof, brought him down. And, and uh, uh, he, he said, Sons, your, your, son, your sins are forgiven you. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet, and he's forgiven sins. He's telling people, go and sin no more. Yes, Jesus expects us to live a life where we don't sin. Jesus is expecting us to live a life where sin is not dominating us. 
Sin destroys us. But he's saying go and sin no more, not because I'm right and you're wrong. He's saying sin will kill you. Remember, we said this before uh, in in another series. If uh, until we see sin the way God sees sin, we won't see people the way God sees people. He was able to see this woman the way his father saw her because he saw sin. Jesus came to take care of sin. Jesus came to eradicate sin, but not at the expense of the individual. There's an answer. And we need to be be people that point others to the answer, not point out their sin. I'll say that again. We need to be people. The church needs to point people to the answer, not point out their sin. Point people to Jesus. Point people to the answer. Don't just find fault in their sin. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The only way you're going to get free uh, is not by me saying, hey, that's wrong. You don't need to do that anymore. The way that you need to get free is you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. It doesn't matter how big your sin is. It doesn't matter how long you've been sinning. It doesn't matter what your attitude. Your attitude needs to be, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Because if you would make him Lord, the sin is no longer a problem. The sin will no longer be an issue. Look at how he closes this thing out in verse 12. He turns back around. First of all, let's look at verse 11. Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. The one who could have did it. The only one that could have did it. I love the fact that earlier up there, it says that uh, after Jesus said, uh, the one that has uh, not sinned, you throw the first stone. And it says that they were convicted by their conscience. They were convicted. You know, a lot of times we look at how Jesus helped the woman. But Jesus helped the scribes and Pharisees. He could have tore them up, chewed them up one side and down the other for what they were doing. And he still operated by conviction rather than condemnation. How do we respond to those that are even attacking us? Sometimes we feel justified. Sometimes we feel legitimized in in, uh, attacking those that have brought attacks on us. They're going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about them. And Jesus doesn't even do that. He just simply identifies, you need the same thing she needs. And they were convicted. But then he moves on down. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Since you're calling me, Lord, here's what I'm telling you to do. Go and sin no more. In verse 12, he turns and spoke to them again. He says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When light shows up in the midst of darkness, it doesn't point out the darkness. 
it eradicates it. It gets rid of it. Light doesn't identify darkness. Light doesn't say, hey, I'm light and there's darkness. It gets rid of it. The light inside of you is not to go around and find darkness all over the place and say, that's darkness, that's darkness. What you're doing is darkness. That's, that's sin. Uh, God doesn't like that. That's offensive. God, you know, and then get our signs together that say homosexuality is an abomination and, and burn down abortion clinics. No, light doesn't just point out darkness. It purges it. It gets rid of it. That's how light works. The light that is inside of you is to walk into dark situations and bring the light and get rid of darkness. Get rid of darkness. Do we care about the individual, Chase, if you come up? Do we care about the individual and the sin? Or do we just care about the sin and the individual? Do we care about the individual that's in sin? Or do we just care about the sin that's in the individual? The Pharisees only cared about the sin inside the person. Jesus cared about the person that was caught inside the sin. One thing that Pastor Roll told us from day one, when I got hooked up with him in ministry back in 2004, he would say this repeatedly. It was almost like we couldn't go to a meeting or, or couldn't, could, couldn't be in a, in a staff meeting w- without hearing him say these words. It's about people's lives. It's about people's lives. It's about people's lives. At the end of the day, it's not about the sin that they're caught in. It's about the person in the sin. And there's an identifiable difference with the church that has others' best interests at heart versus the church that has only their interests at heart. There's a separation. There's a division that takes place that shouldn't. Now, Jesus talked about separation. He said, I, you don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. There's going to be some division. There's going to be some separating that's going to take place. But our job is not to point out sin. It's to pull people out of sin. To identify the thing that you're in is destroying your life. It's killing you. And just like I needed Jesus, you need Jesus. The more and more I I, I get in this series, the deeper I go, the more and more I recognize It's really about us. It's really about us. Next week is our family service. All of our kids will be in here. And guys, bring your kids. They don't bother me. They do not bother me. I love having kids in here. We don't go as as long. We haven't gone super long today, but we don't go as long. We're, We're straight to the point. But next week, we're going to take communion together as a family. As a family. All of us. Because we've got to remember that I need the love of God before I can reveal the love of God. These scribes, these Pharisees, they didn't know the love of God. 
They were just into the do's and the don'ts, the rights and the wrongs. So all they saw was someone doing wrong rather than someone in wrongdoing. But Jesus saw a person. Jesus saw an individual. And he saw that even though that sin, as terrible as it is, is hurting you today, from this day forward, you can be free. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we we make the sin to be so big that we can't even see the person outside the sin. I remember I got convicted one day because I was in Target right here in town. And there was a young man checking me out. Checking me out on the register. Bringing up my items to purchase. Let Let me clarify. And, you know, I don't know if he was or not, but kind of had that persona, that demeanor. And on the inside, I, I asked myself this question. God, I, I have the same struggles you do. Don't think because I get up here that I, I don't have to ward off the same thoughts from the enemy that y'all do. And I had the thought, I wonder if he's a homosexual. And instantly, God rested me right there and stopped me and said, no, he's a man. Why am I now going to identify someone by their sin? He's, he's a fornicator. He's, she's an adulterer. He's a homosexual. He's a liar. He can't watch his mouth. No, they're individuals that are in sin. We've got to care about the person in the sin, not about the sin in the person. If we can get a hold of this, guys, we can change our city. We can change our county. You can change your homes. You can change your families. You can change your jobs. You can change your workplace. You can change your schools. We can change every environment we walk into because no longer are we trying to find right, wrong, right, right, wrong. We're trying to find who needs Jesus just like I needed Jesus. Who can I get Jesus to today? I don't care what they're doing. I don't care how big and bad their sin is. I don't care what their response is. Who needs the kingdom of God? Who can I infiltrate? What can I get the kingdom into today? In the last days, guys, we're going to be confronted with crazy stuff. Stuff that you've never heard of. Stuff, and the Bible says that they'll reinvent ways to sin. They'll get tired with the ways that they sin. They're going to find new ways. There's going to be some very offensive stuff that happens. We're seeing it today. Stuff that we know that God hates. But in the midst of all that, God has never changed his position on the sinner. You know he still died for them. You know he still died for them and with no guarantee that they would accept him. No guarantee. Jesus didn't get to look ahead in the future and say, okay, uh, 22%, I'll die for 22 died for all of them. No guarantee that even one would accept him. We're talking about a man, we're talking about a man that went to the cross even when his best friends and own followers deserted him in his most needed time. I mean, for me, I'm thinking, dude, forget the cross thing. You're going to leave me now? I ain't going to the cross for you. Much less for people that hate me. What could put Jesus in a posture 
that as he's being nailed to a cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we can't forgive each other. We can't forgive our own family members. We can't forgive our own church brothers and sisters. We can't even forgive people in the world that haven't even directly done something wrong. Some of you have grudges and offenses against other people that didn't even hurt you. They hurt your friends. I can't believe they did that to them. Forget them. They're not in my life anymore. And yet Jesus, as he's being nailed to a cross, can say, Father, forgive them. Because he always had his eyes on people. People were not a means to an end for Jesus. They were the end. They were the goal. They were the mission. They were the purpose for his life. That woman that you're bringing into my presence, how dare you bring her in here with these accusations? And her sins are forgiven her like all of you. Gotta see people the way God sees people. Father, help us see with the light, the light of life, the light of love through the darkness that's around us. See the people that are hurting. Not the hurt within the people, but the ones that are hurting. Help us not just to see the sin But see the person in the sin. The person that's hurting. The person that needs you. The person that needs redemption. The person that needs salvation. The person that needs healing. The purpose that needs restoration. The person that the person, the person, the individual, the person. You died for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The person. Father, as we're confronted even in these last days with things that are offensive, help us see the individual. The individual. Father, you love them. You gave your life for them. So why in the world would the church not love them? Why in the world would the church not want to give our lives for them? Father, we know that it's the love of God that draws people the love of God. It's not us knowing right from wrong, knowing the do's and don'ts, but Father, it's the love of God that draws people to repentance. Father, we thank you that this love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We thank you the love of God has been revealed to us so that we can reflect it to the world, Father. Give us boldness. Give us boldness in these last days to show people the love of God like never before. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.